Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. church family. It's good to be with you. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Berean. And uh, I'm excited today because we're finishing off this series and I thought, you know what, why not have some fun? So what does everybody love to hear about and what does every pastor love to talk about? The book of Revelation. (laughs) Now we're going to get there in just a moment, but I want to affirm just briefly what Pastor Dan talked about and express my deep appreciation for all facets of service that were rendered to Christ as King yesterday through School of Palooza. It was an amazing thing to be a part of and to behold, a real gift, and I want to acknowledge that and thank you again. In 2004, Christopher Booker wrote a a, a nonfiction work entitled The Seven Basic Plots, and there's This isn't actually original with him. It goes back to ancient literature. But here he argues that all fiction works, whether that be John Grisham or Dr. Zeus, whether that be Homer's Iliad or that's James Patterson, has basically seven different plots. Think about it. Fighting of the dragon, the monster, the voyage, the quest, the return home. There's these simple frameworks that our our works of fiction today follow, and all of them essentially end the same way. Now, you're here, and maybe you're really studied, and you are a ferocious reader, and you can't wait to study and and to read the next thing that's on your shelf, but maybe you're here, and you have forgotten everything that your ninth grade English teacher taught you about plot. But regardless of how well you're read or how many books you've read, you know how the story is supposed to end. And they all lived happily ever after. Whether it's film, television, or the books we read or we read to our children, we desire and long for resolution. Ah, Devin, you say. I'm into really dark, black and white, macabre, you know, indie films, and sometimes they're so chaotic. Yes, yes. Your absurdist postmodern film may not follow suit. Okay, I grant that. But largely speaking, the stories that we read, we long for resolution. We want there to be completion at the end. That is true for the books that we read, and it's true for the lives that we live. We long for, I don't know, some... Something to change. We long for resolution. 
You know, C.S. Lewis famously said, if I find within myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another. You see, we have these desires, these heartaches, these longings, and what we, what we really want at the end of the day is resolution. We know that things are not as they ought to be. We long for the time in the day when, if you're a follower of Christ, when Jesus comes back and fixes it all. But you see, for too many of us, our hope for the future, for those who would say we're followers of Christ, Our hope for the future has been shaped more by popular culture than it has been by the Bible. What comes to mind when you think of the afterlife? Where will you be and what will you be doing 10,000 years from now? How you view your eternity and your expectations of that time is going to impact your day-to-day life And this is what I want to talk about today. So very simply, I'm going to offer you a statement that we'll unpack a little bit. I'll do some front work on the book of Revelation, and then we're going to dive into it. But very simply, I offer this to you, that we are new creations waiting for new creation. We are new creation, and we're waiting for God to come and to remake all things. We are new creations waiting for new creation. Now today in this sermon, I'm speaking to those who have trusted in Christ. Who, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, is in Christ. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. But maybe you're here and you have not yet trusted in Christ. I want to address that on our front end. I'm speaking today to those who are new creations, who have trusted in Christ, who have believed in him for salvation. When you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, you are born again. You are born anew. You experience that new life. You become a new creation. You see, only new creations are fit for the coming new creation. The old, it just doesn't do. The old is only fit to be crucified on the Christ, on the cross with Christ. It's only new creations that are fit for new creation. But when you trust in Christ, your sins, your failures, your accomplishments, your accolades... They don't define you anymore. You are a new creation. Now, sure, we wrestle and we struggle, but fundamentally, we are new. And so today, we're looking at the future home of new creations and how this home gives us hope. Now, in just a moment here, we're going to open up to the book of Revelation. And and you picked a good Sunday to come, because if I tell you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, you don't have to do the old uncomfortable turn to the table of contents, 
right? Maybe next week. I'm starting three weeks through Habakkuk next week, and maybe that'll be one that we'll have more than a few. And that's fine. You're welcome here. But all you got to do today is flip to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But I want to frame it up a little bit because Revelation has been often abused or misinterpreted by Christians. Oftentimes it's avoided by Christians. It is God's word. And you and I must submit ourselves to God's word in its totality. We don't get to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we like and what we don't like. That God has much to teach you from this book itself. But there are two primary errors that I see when people approach the book of Revelation. Here's the first error that I often see. Wild speculation. You ever see those movies where they go down into the basement and that person has like a map and photos and there's red strings going everywhere, right? I've seen people do that with Revelation. But there's wild speculation. I knew a girl once in high school. She was right into this stuff. And she literally thought that the barcodes on the back of her shampoo bottle lined up with 666. So there you go. You know, I was thinking, if only it was that simple, that you could avoid Satan's schemes and his deception by, I don't know, not using your head and shoulders in the morning. I've been to, I've sat in audiences where a, a pastor is speaking and he's tying in the, the celestial events of new moons and saying, okay, so this means Jesus is coming soon. And, and then years and decades go by and it, it makes you scratch your head to think, what, why would you do something so irresponsible? Why wouldn't you handle God's word correctly and carefully? I've heard somebody say to me without a jest that Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist. That Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. That their next door neighbor was the Antichrist. (laughs) Wild speculation about the end times does not honor God. And it makes us look silly. We must avoid the air of wild speculation, but at the same time, we must avoid the air of what I would call shoulder-shrugging indifference. Mm. The second coming of Christ is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament, and it's consistently pointed to as an incredible comfort and source of hope for God's people. You and I come out real poor if we're not constantly reflecting and thinking about the goodness of what is to come. That you and I need to have a robust and biblical understanding of the second coming of Christ. But man, oh man, does it garner debate. Hmm? Are you a preterist or a futurist, historicist or an idealist? Hmm? How do you read the book of Revelation? When it comes to the millennium, are you pre-mill, post-mill? Amil. Hmm? What about the tribulation? Are you mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib? I need to know. Are you are you dispensational? Are you covenant? Are you covenantal? Are you an adherent to new covenant theology? Is it talking about events from 70 AD or is it talking about events in the future? Is it going to be like the Left Behind movies? Is Nick Cage and Kirk Cameron going to show up? Are people going to be <laughs> taken up to heaven and just leave behind their underwear? Like what's going to happen? And it's debated. <laughs> There is so much disagreement around this. So if those are two errors, let me offer you three reminders or three encouragements 
The first is this. Remember that it's apocalyptic literature. And we can unpack all of this and you can Google it. The Bible is one book that tells us the incredible story of the glory, the majesty, and the grace of Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected Lord. It all points to him, and it's all based off of him. It's all about Jesus. But within the Bible, we have 66 unique books. We carry around in our pockets or in our phone, on our phones or under our arms a walking library. And it's important that we are sensitive to the types of literature that we are studying. Nobody reads the book of Mark like they read the book of Proverbs. Mark is history. It's narrative. It's a biography of Jesus. Proverbs is different than that. You read it differently. The book of Lamentations or Ecclesiastes needs to be read differently than, say, the the Psalms. So it's important that we recognize that this type of literature utilizes imagery and symbolism and, and number values consistently. This was not a brand new phenomenon to those in the day and age. So remember to be sensitive to its genre. It is apocalyptic literature. Secondly, I would say this. Remember that every generation has had weird views on Revelation and thought they were living the book out in real time. Now, this is not to dissuade you from serious study of the book. This is not to say that it's hopeless, but I am saying this, that we need to approach this book with some humility. Because more than likely, the view that you currently now hold that has been shaped by what's popular on TikTok or what's been popular recently of the the pastors or leaders you follow has morphed and changed throughout the history of the church. During the Reformation period, there were those that taught the Pope was the Antichrist. You have various celestial events. Back in 2012, blood moons coming. And so people were tying it to events at the time, saying this is what's going to happen, and then this is what's going to happen. The church has wrestled with this book throughout history. And so it's important that when you approach it, you have some humility. And I would caution you against mocking, maligning, or being overtly dismissive. That if somebody holds a different view of revelation than you, that they are somehow not taking God's word seriously. There are good, godly, seasoned, Bible-believing Christians who disagree about this book. Does that mean that truth is, is subjective? Not at all. Does that mean it's not worth study? Not at all. But it means that we ought to approach it with some humility. And finally, as a reminder, I would say this. I don't care what interpretive scheme you approach Revelation with, as long as you don't miss the central and glorious truth that all Revelation points us to, is that the Lamb wins. Don't you dare read the book of Revelation without allowing it to be a conduit, a cause in your life to help you fall on your knees in worship. That the lamb that was slain triumphs. That nothing on earth will ever thwart this slain lamb who provides redemption and salvation. The lamb wins. That's the whole point of Revelation. So you can read it and say, I don't know who this dragon is. But I know that the lamb wins. 
I don't know what beast this is, but man, the lamb wins. Let your heart be captured with that truth. I have met people who are far more concerned with tying Revelation to the current newspaper edition than they are with focusing on the glory and the beauty of the resurrected Lord. So keep that in mind. It's apocalyptic literature. Hold it with some humility. And don't you ever forget that the Lamb wins. That there is nothing on earth, there is nothing in heaven that can stand against the Lamb of God who was crucified and resurrected. Now with that in view, turn with me then to Revelation chapter 21. Now I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Some of you are like, whoa, this is like in the middle of the sermon almost, Devin. I know, I know it'll give you a chance maybe to uh, stretch your legs, wake up a bit. Um, You know, we'll see. But I think this is important that we recognize that we are new creations awaiting a new creation. So this book of the Bible, the final book of the Bible, written by John the Apostle, close friends with Jesus. He is exiled. He's writing here in the late 90s AD. And he's writing here about a vision that God has given him of the end. So after the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the judgment, this is the end of new creations. This is our hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. We are new creations awaiting new creation. So what this means is that technically, Christians are not looking forward to heaven. Don't walk out. I've been here a year, right? Hopefully you know me well enough. Just give me some time. Let me explain. But technically, as the Bible describes it, our hope is not heaven someday. It is heaven so far as you understand it to be, the new creation, the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband, touching down on this earth after it's been remade. You see, the problem is 
that our perception and our view and our understanding of heaven is often shaped by medieval forces or pop culture. Because what often comes to mind when we speak about heaven? Clouds, harps, chubby little cherubs, angels, us getting wings and becoming angels. What else is talked about? Oh, the streets of gold. The streets of gold are not in heaven. They're on this earth. Look down at verse 21. Revelation 21, verse 21. We are told here that the streets of the city that come down, the new Jerusalem, was pure gold. The streets of gold are in the new creation. The streets of gold are in this new Jerusalem. Furthermore, we're told in verse 24 and then into 22, the next chapter, that there are nations and cultures, that there are trees, plants, rivers, and months. So do you see this? Do you see what this means? We are not heading to an ethereal and spiritual future where we float around as disembodied spirits. That God is the maker of the physical world. And he will one day come back and remake all things. You know, I don't think it's helpful necessarily to speculate about the role of culture and art and music and technology and so forth. But let me ask you this. If you love Jesus, what do you do in your life that you truly enjoy that doesn't dishonor God? All right, let's say this. You love being with friends and family and laughing. Somebody telling a story and you're all belly laughing and you're in the moment and it's just beautiful. Maybe it's traveling and seeing the immensity of God's creation. Maybe it's meeting new people, fellowshipping. Maybe it's hearing stories of God's goodness. Maybe, maybe it's being here as a church and worshiping. And you ever have those moments in your, in your life where you are worshiping God or you are going for a walk. Maybe you're listening to music or you're doing your devotions or you're here in church and you get this little moment where it's like the eyes of your heart are fully opened and you get this overwhelming sense of the beauty and the worth and the majesty of Jesus. And you think, I would love to just pause that, that feeling, pause that moment and live my entire life out of that. Because when I have that, there is nothing that I want apart from you, Jesus. The problem is Monday morning comes around. The problem is the kids wake you up in the night. The problem is your boss is on you. And little by little, we forget and we forget and we come back each week and we're like, I just want to hold on to it. Can you imagine experiencing all of those good things and experiencing that moment of intimacy, of joy, of the beauty of Christ eternally? Of living that out day after day. Of being able to worship Jesus as you desire and as he truly deserves, free from the shackles and the effects of sin. Do you enjoy feasting, laughter, fellowship, adventure? I have no doubt that one day in the new creation, we will enjoy it in a way that you and I could never imagine. Everything good that you have ever experienced in this life is but a shadow of what's to come. 
that what God has in store is not some disembodied spiritual realm, but is a remade heavens and earth that come down that is perfected. That you have been resurrected from the dead and are now fit to dwell in this new kingdom. That is a hope that can sustain. But if all you picture is this disembodied spiritual state floating around on a cloud all day, that's going to get lame really quick. Why does this matter so much? Why can't you just say, I don't really care what happens. It's got to be better than this life. So someday I'll be up in heaven, be in the new creation, whatever you call it. And, you know, at least it's going to be better than it is here. Well, we learn something important from our future, from this new creation that's coming. Let me give you a couple of them. What do we learn from this? Well, first of all, we learn this. Number one, God does not give up on his original plan. God does not give up on his original plan. You see, there is tremendous continuity between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 20 and 21. God creates man and woman in his image in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then he says to them, I want you to rule over this creation. Everything is perfect. But then sin is introduced and everything is broken. What God has done is not look down to his creation and say, oh my goodness, they've ruined it. Well, I'm done with this. I'm going to let it go on for thousands of years and then I'm going to you know, save a few spirits. I'm going to take them to heaven with me and we'll be done with the physical world. That is not at all what he has done. Our God gets what he wants. Our God is unstoppable. His plan has not been thwarted by sin. It's been disrupted, but he is working to reverse the effects of the fall. And what he has promised, what he has longed for in his creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is finally and fully realized in Revelation chapter 21. In 2 Timothy 2, we are told that we will reign with him. In Matthew 5, we're told that the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. These are not empty promises from Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are told that we will judge the world, that the Lord's people will judge angels. You see, God's goal in Genesis 1 and 2 was a perfect place with perfect people in perfect relationship with him. That was his intent. And you see in Revelation chapter 21 that he gets it all. This is the great hope that we have. The world didn't fall apart from evil and then God say, okay, fine. I'll hand that over to Satan, but I'm going to get some souls up to me in heaven someday. No, he's coming back and he is going to remake all things and make a new heaven and new earth. God doesn't give up on his original plan. Now, secondly, that also shows us this, that creation and the physical matter. We are called to steward God's creation. Let us make mankind in our own image and in our own likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish and the birds, the livestock and the wild animals. This is what we read in Genesis 1.26. Man and woman are given authority or dominion, as theologians call it, to rule over his creation. What kind of rule ought that to be? Well, what kind of rule did Adam and Eve know? The only paradigm they had for rulership, for dominion, was the rulership and dominion of God himself. And what kind of ruler is God? He is gracious and compassionate and gentle. We ought to steward creation in a reasonable way. In Proverbs 12.10, we are told that the righteous man cares for the needs of their animals. Psalm 36 says, You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor store, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more val- are you not much more valuable than they? Inhumane treatment of animals or you know changing your oil in your car and then just dumping it down the drain or in your back, you know, we can do better than that. Absolutely. Meat is given to us to eat and to to enjoy, but we are still called to care for creation. But here's the issue. Like so many things in the Bible, it's an issue of balance. In our world today, in so many so-called Christian churches, there is an overt ecological idolatry where I have seen people who are more concerned about people using styrofoam plates than they are about the destructions of the baby in a womb. So it's fine to recycle. It's, it's good to care for God's creation. It's fine that you want to simplify your life and get a smaller vehicle that's a little bit more efficient on gas. But that is a poor substitute to rally people around, to give their lives to. You see, in in so many liberal or progressive churches today, everything comes back to these two issues. Affirmation and acceptance of all things that is sin, that the Bible clearly describes as being sin, and an overt ecological obsession and idolatry. Biblical Christianity has something far greater. Yes, we're called to steward his creation, to make wise choices. But we must keep things in perspective. We as a church have our marching orders. It is the Great Commission. And may we never lose a passion for this and substitute it with something so eternally trivial. You could go live off the grid with zero waste and still end up in hell. Work for what matters. This also shows us, kind of in line with the the, the creation and that physical matters, that our physical bodies matter. You see, in the New Testament, you'll read a number of letters written by Paul to some churches. And oftentimes in the churches, what he's coming up against is is a heresy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism wasn't just simply one type of thing, but it, it was pretty broad. But at its core, it had this distinction that it would teach between the body and the soul. 
The body was earthly, fleshly, had appetites, made gross sounds and smells. So that was unclean. Didn't really matter what you did with your body, but it was all about your soul staying pure. So, both then and today, it doesn't matter who you sleep with. That's just your body. That's just an appetite. As long as your soul is committed to this person. You see, we can fall into a trap as Christians today of believing that our physical bodies don't matter. It's important that we take care of our physical bodies. It's important that we exercise, eat well, take care of ourselves the best that we possibly can. You have one life given to you by God. It's a gift, your physical body. So God calls you to steward it. Now, obviously, God is the one who writes the story of our life. Our days are held in his hand. And no amount of healthy living will ever be enough to let you live forever. That's a work that only God can do. But how are you possibly going to serve God well with energy and vigor if you're not taking care of yourself? So the very least we see here from God's kind of grand plan from Genesis to Revelation that he is creating for us a future that is decidedly and surprisingly physical. So if the physical matters then, then the physical matters now. Steward, take care of creation as best as you're able. Care for your bodies as best you're able. We live in an imperfect world. We'll never do it perfectly. But creation and the physical matters. Now, number three, I think an implication or a lesson that we learn from this is found right from the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus' ministry demonstrated and revealed the new creation. In a few weeks, we're going to be starting the Gospel of Mark. You read through the Gospels, and Jesus is performing miracle after miracle. Incredible things. These miracles are not only to prove to people who he is, that he is God come in the flesh, that he is the son of David, that he is from Abraham's seed. He is here as the Messiah come to rescue and redeem. It's not only to validate his identity. It's also a glimpse for you and I today of the nature of the coming kingdom. Every time Jesus heals somebody, he is giving you a little moment's glimpse into what it's going to be like someday. Because by the same word, that he told and spoke to the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. That same voice is going to come one day and speak a word of recreation over all things. That same power that rose Lazarus from the dead is going to resurrect this entire world. That's what's coming. You see, these, these moments in the life of Jesus, these miracles that he performs, are not merely proof that he is the Son of God. It's a glimpse into what he's going to do someday. Where he will speak a word of healing and bring about a new heaven and a new earth. Some of you may have noticed that I stopped reading in verse 7. There's a verse that follows. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here and you are a new creation in Christ. And you're saying, Devin, I want to live with more hope for that day. But maybe you're here. Maybe this is your first Sunday here. Maybe you've been coming for years. 
but you don't know Jesus. You know, you know some stuff about him. You know some stuff about the Bible, but he does not have your heart. You do not love him. You do not worship him or obey him. You don't know him. If you're here today and you are not a new creation, then this beautiful and glorious scene that we have just discussed is not going to be your future home. And my hope and my prayer is that the words of this verse will startle you and scare you, if necessary, closer to God. Let me read for you verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Someday, every single one of us, and this includes you, will find ourselves here in this scene. If you have trusted in Christ, you will be welcomed into this glorious vision of the new heavens and new earth where you will be with your maker and you will see him. But if you're here and you have not trusted in Christ, your future is not new creation. Your future is the lake of fire and sulfur. The scripture is clear. There is no salvation any way apart from Jesus. That your only hope, I mean, look at this list. This is a damnable list of sins. And I look at it and I think, man, without Christ, this is me through and through. Oh, sure, I've never killed somebody, but my heart can get real hard towards people. And Jesus himself said on the Sermon on the Mount, man, you have hatred in your heart. You have lust in your heart. It's like you just committed the sin. You've already acted out rebellion. You just lack the courage to do it in real life. Man, we are damned without Christ. So your future is here on this page. My future is here on this page. Only new creations are fit for new creation. If you have not responded to the gospel, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, then your future is here. This second death, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. So here's my challenge to you. If you are here and you don't yet know Christ, you are not a new creation. You've got to talk to someone. You're not even guaranteed the rest of the day. You have no idea when your time will come. You have no idea how long God has given you. So here today, speak to someone. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to one of our elders. Speak with the person who brought you. Don't leave here without finding clarity. Don't leave here without responding to the good news. Because while there is breath in your lungs, there is still hope. So make today the day of your salvation. Call out to Jesus to save you. He's provided the sacrifice. Put your trust and your hope in him so that one day you can be with him here. Because only new creations are fit 
for new creation. There's one of two options in the end. Eternal life with your creator in the new heavens and the new earth with no more sorrow or sickness or death. A place of infinite joy as we revel in an infinite God. Or infinite darkness and fire. Listen, friends, I know it's heavy. And I know it's hard to hear, but it matters. Your soul matters. We're here to talk to you, to speak with you, to walk with you. Maybe you have questions, maybe you have doubts. But don't fail to act. Don't get distracted. Because what we're talking about today matters more than anything else. Now let me just close with this. If you're here and you know Jesus, you're following him, you need a hope. I mean, sometimes life can be amazing, but you need hope. That hope is that this life isn't all you get. You want to travel. You want to see the world. You want to explore. You want to have adventures. Everything you experience in this life will pale in comparison to what comes next. Give yourself for the sake of the gospel, for the good of those around you, and have the hope that someday you'll live the life that you've always dreamed of. Only new creations are fit for new creation. My prayer is that you won't leave here today without being absolutely sure where on this page you are. Let me pray. Father, you have prepared a place for us that is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And someday that place is going to come right down here. You're going to remake all things. And it's greater than we could ever think or imagine. I pray that you would sustain your people with that hope. I pray, Father, that you would help us to live our lives with truly reckless abandon. That this life doesn't matter that much because we've got another life coming. What matters is glorifying you, Jesus, here and now. That there is nothing we can forgo in this life that we will miss out on in eternity. We will not be living with regrets 10,000 years from now. Sustain us with this hope. And Lord, for those who are here who don't know, Lord, they need you. Spirit of God, hound them until they respond with faith and trust in Christ. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.